What's up, everybody? Welcome in to another episode of the Live for Supercross podcast. This week, we're going in on round 15 from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, So you're expecting a little honky tonk. And what we ended up getting as the backdrop to that was a whole lot of fucking chaos. Of course, you know, we're going to jump right in and talk about what happened to Cooper Webb. I'm sure you've seen it talk to death already. I'm sure you've seen the footage a million times. They played that replay of him getting his head squashed like a melon more than I've ever seen any single replay played on a Monster Energy uh, Supercross broadcast. Uh, But there's good reason for that, not just because people like uh, Gore and violence, but because this was one of the most significant things that happened all season. It certainly was the most significant thing in terms of a a talking point, right? I mean, you see crashes and you evaluate them in a lot of different ways. You know, you either say, well, this guy's not coming back for the main or this guy's not going to be on the bike for a while. Uh, Thank God it's not very often that uh, you find yourself wondering if this guy's going to be able to remember how to get back to his house at the end of the night. And this looked like it could be really bad. Dude could have had a broken neck, could have fucked up his spine and his back. And so it's great to find out that uh, he just has a concussion, not just, it's a severe concussion. He's going to be out for the rest of the season. Uh, but just the fact that uh, the guy's not going to end up like a vegetable, I think is, is, is great news. And the main point you got to take away from that. Um, but that being said, and, and glad to say that the number two's okay, uh, for us as fans, this pretty much put an end to the championship battle. This guy was 11 points down coming in, which uh, even with Eli's speed and consistency taken into account as of late and pretty much always, isn't all that much. And even if he was able to come back for the last two rounds, he's over 30 down now with that DNF. And and that's just a bummer for us because it seemed like that was the only guy that could keep it interesting until the end. Or I guess we have to ask the question, was it really? Because you can't forget about the number 23 of Chase Sexton. He's only 18 points down. And uh, you probably know how this works already, but I'll throw up the point scoring because it is uh, not as straightforward as it possibly could be. And if you take a look at this, you can see that if Chase wins the last two races, which is absolutely achievable given his skill, and his consistency ever since Atlanta. You know, we're not going to hold East Rutherford against him because he never got a chance to show what he could do being taken down so early by Barsha. And he still ends up salvaging for, for a fourth, which I think speaks in favor of his consistency. And if he comes out and puts two down, clinches it, and Eli is forced to uh, deal with mechanical problems or is just having an off night or gets a sore neck again, if he ends up finishing, you know, two eighth places, uh, then this thing is, is going to come out as a tie, you know, and you never know what can happen in this sport. Take the clip of Cooper Webb getting run over as an example. So it's certainly not outside the realm of possibility. 
And not only do I want it to be true, but we really need Chase to come and push the number 23 to keep this thing fresh for the last couple rounds of the season uh, because the 250 championships are, are pretty much uh, packed and, and in the mail already. I mean, we saw Hunter win the championship here, and I don't think anybody was surprised that he did. He might have done it last weekend, if not for the uh, crazy circumstances of that mutter. And, uh, you know, if you look at the stats here, the dude from the 22-23 season, or I'm sorry, for the last two seasons, he has 17 podiums in 18 starts. He's led 145 laps. He has seven wins just on the year of 2023. And uh, as if this wasn't an achievement enough, him coming home with his first championship, uh, for us, it makes things less exciting when you consider that next week in the 250 West, when we go back West to Denver, his brother, the number 18 of Jet Lawrence, is going to have the same exact chance. After RJ Hampshire makes that rash yet ballsy move uh, in the last turn and ends up literally burying his season in the mud, Jet is 39 points up. And, uh, you know, if uh, Jet stays healthy and just shows up for the main event, gets through qualifying, uh, you know, all he's got to do is finish top 10, uh, which no one thinks Jet Lawrence isn't going to do. His worst finish of the season is a second place, and that only happened to him twice. So you can imagine that this thing's done. It's going to be his second Supercross championship because of an injury last year. He ends up coming away with one in the West and one in the East, which hasn't been done all that often. And uh, even though he didn't necessarily get to battle the cream of the crop in either class because of injuries all out, Austin Forkner, uh, he probably would have got it done anyways. He might be the best dirt bike rider in the world already. If not, then soon to be with a couple years on the big bike. And of course, he's already got the two outdoor championships as well. So he brings his tally to four total. And so we can expect him to see him celebrate next week in his typical fashion, uh, but maybe with a little bit of tact, given the fact that he's already accomplished the feat so many times already in his young career. Now let's go ahead and get into the night show. We're going to go ahead and start by discussing the track. It rained overnight in Nashville, Tennessee. And so in the morning for the qualifying sessions and free practice, uh, the track crew not able to water. So you had some situations, some corners where it was awfully slippery. It was just slime on top. And yet because it was so dry in some of the rhythm sections, things were breaking down immediately. It looked bad. It looked like it was going to be a repeat of something like Indianapolis. Uh, luckily, the weather stayed clear enough that the track crew was able to water for the night show the way they would do typically. Uh, but even so, uh, the dirt was so hard packed that when you combine all the notched out sections uh, and you consider the fact that these crazy braking bumps are going to develop, especially in the places where acceleration and braking is happening, which is exactly the last way you want it. Uh, with that stiff supercross suspension, these guys' arms and shoulders are going to be taking a beating 
all night. And when you consider that the transitions are going to get G'd out, that the uh, jump faces are going to become like walls, super steep, especially at the bottom. Uh, these guys are really just going to take a pounding. And uh, you, you consider all those things uh, in line with the fact that the track did change so considerably from the morning to the evening program. Uh, it's really not surprising that we got a lot of the chaos that we did, uh, both in the heats and in the main events. And uh, even though there was quite a bit, I'm almost lucky that we didn't end up getting more of it because uh, it wasn't a survival situation, but it seemed at times in the day that the track could approach that. Even so, there were certain riders that managed to come out and find a way to shine. And I think one guy we got to talk about, even though he ended up only getting third in the main, is Jordan Smith. He looked absolutely great all night, except for one little bobble. Uh, fast in the heat race, especially. Gets out front early, looked more in control than he usually does, known for crashing, ended up crashing in the main last week, which given the conditions, uh, not that surprising. And it's, it's hard to hold that against him, uh, but he doesn't make any mistakes in the heat here. And he holds up under pressure from Hayden Deegan, who certainly wanted to get by him. And you know that they ain't friends. You know that Jordan Smith's uh, having PTSD the last time the youngster came up behind him. And uh, it was good for him to stay cool under pressure. And when he gets to the main, we see more of it early. You know, he gets a great jump and he wastes no time on Hunter Lawrence, makes one of the most decisive passes you can possibly make while keeping it clean. And while we know that Hunter Lawrence is, is in championship management mode at this point and just wants to get it to the finish line, this guy wants to win as much as anybody. And if there was an e easy opportunity to get by Smith, he would have taken it much earlier than he did. Uh, of course, by keeping the pressure on and by playing that strategy, uh, he does, I think, play some part in forcing Jordan Smith to make the one mistake that he does. Jordan Smith tried to rail that sand berm hard. He'd been good in this section all day, but he just doesn't get settled in the rut. And uh, I think he could have averted uh, how bad it went if he'd been willing to slow down, but he keeps the throttle pen, did not want to cede the position. And the fact that he's able to save this thing, getting front centered over this sand roller, really impressive, great recovery. You saw the, the pit guy, you saw his mechanic put the board up, said, just breathe, regroup. That's exactly what Smith did. And of course, Shimoda got by him and uh, good on the number 30, Joe Shimoda, because he did not let Jordan Smith have that position back, even though Jordan Smith was pressuring him all the way to the very last turn. And uh, I think you just got to give it up for both of these guys because uh, some of the luck they've had as of late, uh, they've really been working hard, putting in good performances. And it was great to see that manifest here with both of them getting on the podium. Now, before we go ahead and move on to the 450 class, I want to take a minute and I want to discuss the guy that took fourth place in the lights main event. And that is, of course, the number 238 of one young Hayden Deegan.
And we're not talking about him because he took fourth place. At this point, I practically expect the guy to take podiums. He's got the pace. He's got the consistency. He chased down Hunter Lawrence last week in the mud, despite putting it down spectacularly, trying to get around him. So I'd really only talk about his performance if he ended up on the box. Of course, you do have to consider that here he only ended up finishing seven seconds behind Hunter Lawrence in Nashville, who had clean air for a lot of the race and who was tucked in behind Jordan Smith, copying his lines and learning, and who had a whole lot of speed, more speed than the people that were in front of Hayden Deegan. The real reason we're going to bring this guy up here is because he's engaged in the closest thing we have to a championship battle at this point. It's the battle for second, and he is battling with the Brit Max Anthony. If you look at this thing coming into Nashville, Max Anthony, the number 63, was only one point down. And after all is said and done, in the night show here, Hunter Lawrence would end up finishing one position ahead of Anthony, who ended up taking fifth, and would extend that one-point lead for second place to two. He ends up with 168 on the season, while Max Anthony has to settle for being at 166 at the moment, going in to the final two rounds. But you could tell early on that these two were fully aware that they were battling for something even more than just a race win, which on its own is significant. But if you looked at the pace these guys were bringing right from the heat races, uh, this was for each other. This wasn't just for the sake of it. You've got Deegan on Smith's tail for all of the heat and you know we'll take a look he tries to run it in a little bit in this last turn knew he wasn't going to get there and sure this is maybe just a message to jordan smith as well but this guy isn't just trying to flub his way into the main he wants to show that he's got the speed for anyone who's watching and especially max anthony now for Max Anthony, we go, he gets his first win of the season. And uh, last week in East Rutherford, New Jersey, does it in the mud, leads from the first turn to the checkered flag. And of course he's running on the high of that. And so you would expect him to come out here, especially knowing Hunter might mail it in and try to repeat what he did last week and pick up his second win. But we also know this guy likes to ride, not conservatively, but he's not the type of guy to take crazy chances. He just wants the bonus checks. He's made it clear. He's just trying to get on the podium. And uh, the level of aggression that he brings out in trying to hold Hunter Lawrence off in this first heat, I think shows that he knows something more is on the line uh, than just that gate pick, that something greater is at stake when it comes to the number 238. And I don't think you can hold it against him that he ends up falling out of this rut here. It was almost foreshadowing of what happened to Cooper Webb. And uh, I'm just stoked that the guy was willing to push it the way that he was, excited to see these two go at it at Denver and possibly in Salt Lake City if they finish close to each other next week in Utah. And when it comes to the main event, Anthony ends up finishing 17 seconds down from Hayden Deegan. 
But for most of the race, it didn't look like it was going to turn out like that. They get around the first turn in similar positions, the number 63 just behind the number 238. And Anthony keeps the youngster within his sights, within a second and a half uh, for the first 10 minutes of the race. And uh, the thing that ends up being the defining factor is that Jeremy Martin out there, he's a bulldog. He did not want to cede an inch to anybody. It took Hayden Deegan a long time to work his way around this guy. Had to be really aggressive and make a pass on the outside after the whoops to do it. And we know that was a treacherous section. We saw what happened there all evening and we saw what happened to Cooper Webb. And uh, Deegan gets it done anyway and that allows him to take off. Max Anstey not able to deal with Jeremy Martin in nearly as expedient of a fashion. And by the time he does get around the number six, Deegan's gone and Anthony realizes he's just going to bring it in to the finish. Now, let me just start off this 450 introduction by saying I am not going to show the Cooper Webb crash again. If you haven't seen it enough throughout the week or on the broadcast, then I'm sure you can rewind and rewatch it some more at the beginning of this program. Uh, but what I do want to do is I want to go ahead and look at the immediate aftermath. If you look at Eli Tomac, he did something which I don't think I've, I've ever seen before, certainly not in recent history, which was that as soon as he realized that Webb went down, he slowed down, sat down, and turned around to look at him, even though he's only a few turns in, into leading a heat race. Um, and he's shaking his head at him. He's jawing at him. I wish we could know what he said. Uh, but the reason that I think it's so significant is that Eli really isn't the type to engage in these kind of tactics, or I wouldn't call it a tactic, but even to have these kinds of emotional reactions. I mean, this dude was fucking amped, right? And it wouldn't be fair to say that Eli Tomac isn't an aggressive rider. He certainly is. He rides the bike aggressively. He's not scared of anybody. But at the same time, he doesn't bring aggression in terms of, of pushing other riders, of engaging in tactics, uh, just for clarification, I guess, like a Barsha, because that's his reputation. Uh, you know the kind of thing we're talking about. He never crosses that line, and he doesn't really seem that eager to uh, engage in that back and forth. And, and even when he does, he still keeps it this side of moderate and kind. And I thought we saw a piece of him that was going to be a different Eli here, even better. I'm not saying he needs to engage in those tactics, but from a personal perspective, I've been hungry all season to see him swap back and forth with somebody. I got spoiled by the tete-a-tete -tete with him and Chase Sexton last year outdoors. And I just love that kind of racing. As exciting as it is to see a guy make a pass and take off, I love to see him go back and forth. And coming into this year, you thought you were going to get that. You thought it was going to be Eli early on against either the number 23 of Sexton on the Honda or uh, Jason Anderson, the 21 on the Monster Energy Kawasaki. Those both didn't materialize for different reasons. And then Cooper Webb towards the middle of the season looks like he's going to be able to bring us that kind of action. Uh, but even on weeks when he was on or when Chase was on, uh, 
uh, Eli was off or was riding just a step off the pace that he normally does. And we never really got to see these guys go back and forth and settle it mano y mano. And I would like to see Eli Tomac have to do that or get the opportunity to do that at least one more time before he retires. And, and the reason for that goes far beyond uh, the need uh, for mere excitement. Uh, but my craving for this goes all the way back. We got to get in the time machine here and go back to the final race of the Supercross season in 2017. This was the year where Eli Tomac very narrowly missed out on his first indoor championship would have to wait a few more years because of this and all year he battled the the all-time champ the guy in the hall of fame he battled ryan dungy and I'll, I'll throw the points totals up here so that you could see how they did over the season how close they were going in to the final round in Vegas, Eli Tomac, 11 points down, I believe it is. I'm not looking at it right now. Uh, but you look at the, the point totals over the course of the season. Uh, Dungey came out of the gate strong, looked like it would be his year. And then Eli surged during the second half of the season. Dungey struggled a little bit compared to how he normally does. And it all came down to the final race in Las Vegas. And ultimately, in this round, Eli would end up taking second place in the race while Dungey took fourth, which would be good enough to win Dungey the championship by a, a, a measly five points on the champ now, Eli Tomac. Uh, but the real story here isn't just that Eli Tomac needs redemption. What it is, is that in my opinion, Eli Tomac really could have won that race and won the season uh as a result, if he'd been a little bit more aggressive. Do I know that that would have happened definitively? No, Ryan Dungey uh, was a superstar and he might have climbed through the pack even if he had to pick himself up from the dirt. But if you remember this race, we're going to take some uh, look at some clips from it. Uh, Eli and Dungey went back and forth three different times throughout the course of this main event. There were three chances for Eli Tomac to take Dungey down. He tracks him down from behind early. And you'd think anybody in championship management mode would settle in between Eli Tomac at the front of the pack and would just bring it in, keep the guy in front of him. You know he's your biggest danger. You know you have the skill to keep it up. Uh, but Dungey, a competitor, and even though he's known for his prudence, and his conservative nature on the bike, he wanted that win. And so when Eli Tomac passed him and then just a, a few moments later made a bobble through the rhythm section, Ryan Dungey makes a pass on this sweeping section, if you remember, that goes outside the stadium. He makes a pass on the outside, puts himself in a super vulnerable position, trusts that Eli won't try to take out his front tire at high speed, and Eli doesn't, you know, the good guy that he is. Uh, he does make a second pass later, still leaves Dungey a little bit of real estate. And Dungey feels so confident that Tomac's not going to put him down. He makes the same pass in the same spot one lap later on Eli Tomac. And that gives Eli Tomac an opportunity to again 
uh, just a segment later in this right-hand 90 to absolutely obliterate Dungy, who did not want to cede the position a second time. He doesn't again, and even though he stays in front this time and Dungy's not able to uh, attempt a third passing attempt, uh, if Tomac had put this dude on the dirt, there was stiff competition right behind. They weren't the only guys that wanted it this weekend. And 11 points isn't a lot. I would never advocate for hurting a dude or even for, for dirty riding. I've condemned guys on this show and on the podcast that do cross the line. But in these circumstances, if I'm in that spot and it's come down to the championship, I'm expecting this is the one time this guy is going to try to put me down. Not just make the pass, but break my bike, break my clutch lever. You know, I stall it. I can't start it again. Something technical just on that level, turn the handlebars uh, to give myself every chance chance I can because I know I would do it to the other guy. Eli Tomac didn't take that chance. You got to think that part of him probably regrets it. Maybe not now that he has all the championships to his name, but certainly at the time. And I've always wanted to see Eli Tomac get one more opportunity to go up against somebody at the end of the season when the points are close, who has similar speed and brings it on the same weekends and see if Eli is is as shy as he was then or if the uh, silver fox that we have now matured as he is uh, would be willing to step up and, and, and jaw just like he did at Cooper Webb and not give an inch and push even harder and much harder than he did compared to that 17 season. And sadly, uh, with Cooper Webb going down and, and Chase uh, far behind or somewhat far behind, I don't think that this is the season we're ultimately going to get it. Now, when we jump into the 450 main event here, the first question I have to ask is, given the rest of the carnage and surprises uh, handed to us throughout the rest of the night, did the 450 main event live up to that level of expectation, to the expectations set by the heat races? And the answer has to be that no, it did not. But that doesn't mean that we didn't end up getting anything interesting out of it. We got an opportunity to see how Eli Tomac would respond to coming to race just minutes after finding out his main competition in the championship would no longer be a factor. We got to see if he'd just come out and mail it in, given that Sexton's his only adversary at this point, or would he still put it down, running on the adrenaline of the evening and being the champion that he is, and put on a great show for everyone? And at the start of the race, and for perhaps the whole thing, it looked like Eli Tomac was going to come out and just put an absolute heater down for the entire 20 minutes. He gets the whole shot and he starts to take off. He is building a gap early here. It's been a while since anybody grabbed the whole shot and just disappeared immediately. And through the early stages of the race, it looked like nobody was going to catch him, certainly in the first four minutes or so. Uh, but then he nearly goes over the handlebars at the end of the whoop section. Not the only guy it almost happened to. It also uh, happened to Chase Sexton as he was climbing through the pack to a somewhat lesser fashion. But uh, Eli slowed down after that point and he said as much 
on the podium. Uh, so when Chase Sexton, who was having an absolutely excellent ride, continuing his excellence uh, from the heat event, despite not having a great start in that one, uh, he just lets the number 23 go. And uh, that was a little bit of a letdown uh, in terms or from the fans perspective. Now, that being said, of course, I don't blame him. That is the prudent decision. I just spent minutes uh, saying how imprudent it was of Ryan Dungey to take those risks. And that was in the finals. We've still got a couple rounds left to go in this one. Uh, but the, the point is that uh, I think Eli Tomac would have handled this differently if the guy chasing him down from behind wasn't the 23 of Chase Sexton, but was the number two of Cooper Webb. We talked about the attitude that he showed in the heat race, shaking his head. And I think uh, just out of a matter of pride, he wouldn't have given Cooper Webb the courtesy of just letting the guy breeze around him. I'm not saying he wouldn't have let Webb make the pass. He probably would have. But after that, he would have stuck on Webb's tail to the end just to let the other dude know, you know, man, I could have it if I wanted it, but you're already beat at this point. But he made no pretense of trying to put up a battle with Sexton, and he was feeling pretty good in New Jersey if the way he looked on the bike is any indication and I think that just has to say that at least indoors, you know, the motocross, last year's motocross season aside, Eli thinks he's already beat Chase Sexton in this one. He doesn't lend him the same uh, real estate in his mind that Cooper Webb seems to inhabit. He feels like Chase Sexton had to ride beyond his potential throughout the first 14 rounds or the first 10 rounds or so uh, just to try to keep up with Eli to get in front of him. And he feels like he doesn't have anything to show to Chase Sexton at this point. Uh, I'm sure Chase Sexton isn't too hurt about it because this guy looked super fast. He was absolutely in command. Kinks ironed out. I already praised him earlier when we were talking about his long shot to still win the championship. So we don't have to reiterate all that. But he put it down here just like he did in Atlanta, just like he might have done in East Rutherford, despite the conditions, if given the chance. And uh, I am excited to see how close he keeps it and uh, what he can really do in a couple weeks when we take these bikes outdoors. As for the rest of the 450 main, we didn't get a ton of race action. So the last guy we'll go ahead and talk about is Justin Barsha, the number 51 on the gas gas machine. Uh, if you watch the broadcast, then you know all about his travails uh, coming out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, guy goes down in the dragon back, not able to get up. Uh, I haven't heard an injury update on this guy yet to know if he'll be back next week or not. What I do know and what everybody knows is this guy has been on an absolute heater as of late, not just winning the mutter in New Jersey, but taking five podiums in the last six races. He is absolutely on top of it. Uh, he is bringing the speed and consistency together like a package in a way that I don't think I've seen at any other point 
in his career. And, and he said the same thing. He went on the Title 24 podcast with uh, Ryan Viapoto and Ricky Carmichael uh, after his win in New Jersey. And, and he was saying he didn't see any reason that he couldn't win the last three races of the season. Everything's working great with the team. Everything's working great with the relationships there. And he came out clearly here in round 15 and was trying to live up to what he said to Ryan and Ricky. And unfortunately, it comes out in this instance and kind of bites him in the ass. Uh, we know this is a treacherous section. Dragonbacks have been prominent features in a lot of the rounds this year and have caused uh, chaos in a lot of them. Guys going down all day at the first one of the year that we saw in San Diego. Think they've figured them out a little since then. Uh, but most guys pretty cautious with them, as cautious as you can be and still put in fast lap times. Uh, Justin Barsha, the exception to this rule, we'll take a look at a clip. Uh, he was absolutely throwing the bike around off of this dragon back all day. We know he's a dude that takes liberties with the bike, loves to throw it around, not afraid to be aggressive with it. And, uh, it ends up uh, not working out in his favor here. You know, scrubbing off the top of that thing is absolutely insane. He's the only guy I saw actually do it in that fashion. Everybody else just setting up, trying to survive it and set up for the whoop section that immediately followed. Uh, not him. And I don't know if he tried to scrub on this occasion because uh, they didn't give us a clip except for the very end where he was already going over the bars. Uh, but something happened here and just a shame to see his momentum crushed like it was. Uh, hope to see him rebound next week uh, without his momentum being dashed like to see him get a couple more podiums at the end of the season. And what I'd like to see even more is to see going uh, into the Lucas Oil Motocross Championship in a couple weeks. Can he bring the increase in speed and the increase in consistency that he brought us in the indoor season through the last half of 2023? Uh, I'm not sure if he can, but I think that he can, and I won't be surprised to see it. Um, with all that being said, I guess we're at the end of the program here. We'll get back together after Denver and talk about how things went there. We're going back to the 250 West. We already talked all about that. Uh, Eli Tomac has a chance to close it out. We talked about Chase's chances early, uh, but if you look at the safe bet, he's 18 points up now, only needs to gain another nine on Sexton next week. We know he breathes great up there in that thin air. He trains in it. And if he ends up taking the win, all Sexton has to do, not all Sexton has to do, but the least that Sexton has to do is take a fifth place, a fifth or a sixth, I believe it is, just to keep the trophy open for contention. And uh, hopefully next week in Nashville, it's a little less chaotic. There's a little less carnage. And even if there is carnage, Sexton can stay out of it keep it upright and keep this thing jamming right till the end. Uh, I can't wait to see you all next week. If you're uh, watching the video right now, go ahead and uh, check us out on the Live for Supercross pod on Instagram. If you're listening to the podcast, go ahead and check the video out. We're at Live for Supercross on YouTube. No spaces, make sure that. And uh, until I see you again, I want you all to remember that if you live for Supercross, then you need some love from the Live for Supercross podcast. <laughs>